you've shut your Bibles, please turn them again to Daniel 9. And as we begin, let me pray. God, you have spoken by your prophets, and in the latter days you revealed yourself by your Son, and you reveal your Son to us by your Spirit. Please, would your Holy Spirit be moving among us now, that we might behold you, confess our sins, and experience the forgiveness full and free that only comes from your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Do you ever feel like God is out to get you? <laughs> okay, there's, there's a few notes. There's a few maybe giggles that maybe would suggest, yeah. It can be tempting to try and decipher things that happen to us to try and work out whether God loves us or not. Uh, I myself am often tempted, often when it's the, the, the annoying things in life, the nuisances, that I wonder if there's been a blip in God's love for me. Or maybe he, he kind of loves me, but mm, he's kinda, he loves me, but only begrudgingly or something. What about you? Hmm? Well, today we come to Daniel's prayer of confession. And I hope that we will behold the glory of God's righteousness uh, as well as seeing what, what's, from what standing Daniel makes his confession of sin. And I hope that we will be assured in the wonderful, beautiful righteousness of God. We'll, we'll take uh, Daniel's prayer in two sections, uh, each of which reflect an aspect of God's righteousness. So verses um, 4 to 14 We'll see God's righteousness as his just character. God is just. That's 4 to 14. And then the second section from verses 15 to 19, we'll see God's righteousness as his acts of loyalty. God is loyal. But let's take that first section then now. Verses 4 to 14, God's righteousness in his just character to see that God is just. Look at the final, um, the final verse in this section, verses 14. Daniel says, The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Daniel acknowledges that what, is, what, what has happened, this exile, this punishment from God, is totally fair it is totally fair there are no ifs there are no buts god is righteous in everything he does god is just in everything he does and in the presence of god's uh justice justness if you like uh we we see it becomes abundantly clear that we are completely unjust. God is completely just. And in the light of that, we see how completely unjust we are. Thanks, Sonny, for giving those seats. I forgot. Um, one of my favorite birds, to, to illustrate this, one of my favorite birds is a pied wagtail. Anyone know what a pied wagtail is? Yeah, there's a few, there's a few of you. Uh, here's, here's a picture of a pied wagtail. Can you see that? I'll, I'll come closer so you can see. Yeah, 
Now, I, 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 I have many favorite birds, but pied wagtail's got to be up there. And, and one of the reasons is that I think it's one of the most beautiful birds ever. I love the, the black and white on its face. It, the so, this contrast is so sharp. And almost, I feel like, next to the blackness, the white looks blindingly white. And next to the white, the black looks like the deepest, darkest black. Um, and I just, that, every time you look at a pied wagtail, I sometimes feel like you're being blinded by the deep darks and the deep brightness, you know. And almost, this maybe will help you understand, that when you see the white next to the black, that contrast is made sharper. And so when we see the justice of God and his holiness and his righteousness, our, the, the darkness of our sin is made all the more clear. All the more clear. We see it in, in, in the best focus possible because we see it next to the pure, holy God himself. And so if you look at verse 5, it's, it's like you've hit the jackpot for sin words. Daniel starts and he says, We have sinned. We have missed the mark. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We've done wrong. We've committed iniquity. We are perverse, crooked, and we are warped versions of true humanity. We are twisted and coiled within ourselves. We have been wicked. We have crossed the line, the, the line of which God said thus far and no further, but we have ignored God. We have transgressed that line. We've rebelled. We've rejected God as our leader. We've wanted to place ourselves on top position instead. And we have turned away. We've turned our back on God and we have refused to listen to him. Daniel paints a bleak picture of what it is to be human. We are utterly, utterly sinful. And if you look in verses 6, 10 and 11, again and again, Daniel says that we have not listened to God's servants, whether they be Moses or the other prophets, or maybe especially Jeremiah, whom he was reading at the beginning. Daniel looks at all the servants that God in his kindness and in his grace has sent, and he says, we've ignored that one, we've ignored that one, we've ignored that one, and we've ignored, we've ignored them all. We have not listened. We have not obeyed. Daniel is under no illusions of his sin. He knows that it's a bleak picture. But notice, throughout all this prayer, it's we, not they. It's not these Israelites, they have sinned. No, no, we, we have sinned. And this is astounding because Daniel is probably like the one Old Testament hero you actually want to be like. You know, the, the, the danger with many children's Bibles is that every story can become be like so-and-so, you know, be like David, be like Jacob, rather than love Jesus. At, at least Daniel is actually someone you'd want to be like, unlike Jacob. Be like Jacob, a cheater. Be like David, a murderous adulterer. You know, it doesn't really work. It's a, the moralism doesn't work. It's rather love Jesus. But, but Daniel, you'd think maybe Daniel could pass that test. I mean, who doesn't want to be like Daniel? Wise in his ways and following God in a world that is hostile to him. But Daniel, because he is praying 
to the God of the covenant confesses his sin as a member of that covenant community. You see, there are parts of God's covenant people today who are not repenting of their sin. And so with whom we would not want to associate parts of the Church of Scotland, parts of the Church of England, certain evangelical leaders who have been swallowed up in abuse scandals, parts of the state church in Germany. A few Christmases ago, we were over there and um, there was a, a preacher from this German church and she was preaching on Simeon's song. You know, where Simeon, he sees Jesus and says, Now, Lord, you can dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Oh, it's, 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 I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of Scripture. Simeon is saying, I can die happy because I've seen Jesus. That's all I need to see. And this preacher, she butchered it. <laughs> she, there, was, there was no offer of Christ and how he can satisfy the longing soul. There was none of that. It was awful. And so I, I wrote... Uh, I, I write poem to, poetry to kind of process things. And I said, uh, dismiss your servant now, now in peace, as Simeon says, but on those your church's disease, let them depart with piercing pain who fail to teach that Christ is gain. Salvation, Lord, you have prepared, but them who have your flock impaired from cherishing Emmanuel, prepare for them a fiery hell. It's very easy when you've been, when you see people failing to preach Christ in all his fullness or failing to live like it. It's very tempting to say, to hell with them. To hell with them. How dare they? But remarkably, Daniel does not say, to hell with them. Daniel says, to hell with us. To hell with us. So do we see ourselves as God sees us? We are part of his incredibly flawed covenant people. And we are seen to be all the more unjust in the light of the justice in, of the light of the justice of God. God is righteous, and that is shown in his just character. And parts of his church are completely unjust. But even we. Most of them here today, God has given us the gift of repentance. Even we, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. We come to the second part, verses 15 to 19. God's righteousness as his acts of loyalty. God is loyal. Let's read verses 15 and 16. Now, Lord, says Daniel, now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Verse 15, summarizing what's gone before, leading to verse 16. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger. Do you notice that Daniel hasn't asked for anything yet until verse 16? Turn away your anger. That's when it happens. And God's righteousness here, in keeping with your righteousness or your righteous acts, God's righteousness here is considered as his acts of loyalty to his people, rescuing his people from, from Egypt. Turn your anger according to those righteousness, those righteous acts. You see, Daniel knows that he and the people have been on the receiving end of God's anger. 
And so Daniel asks God to turn his anger away. Turn your anger away from us. But Daniel could have only dimly seen the means by which God's anger did turn away from his people. But we see clearly it is through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Did you, do you notice how Daniel almost functions as a go-between, as a mediator? Here's the people of Israel, here's God, and, and Daniel, on behalf of the people, is confessing sin. Um, you, you remember how, how God sent many servants, Moses, the prophets, Elijah, but in verse 17, Daniel asks God to listen to his servant. You see, now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. Daniel asks God to listen to his servant, which is both Daniel and the greater servant, Jesus. You see, whereas Daniel does not absorb the anger of God because he is a mere man, Jesus does. Now, but, but remember our kids talk, that it's not that his loving Jesus, you know, calming down the angry father. No, 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 no. The father and the son are equally angry at sin and equally full of love. Now, so here we have Jesus, the mediator, standing between the God and us, offering a pleasing sacrifice to God. But so all of you today, look at that historical desolation of Jerusalem in your mind's eye. Look in your mind's eye at the horror of the crucifixion of the Son of God and see how serious your sin is. Not a single one of us here today comprehends fully the vileness of our sin and the offense, the stench it is to God. And then look again. Look again at the crucifixion of the Son of God and see proof of the love of God. Proof. Not, not, that, not that the cross earned the love of God. No. The cross is proof of the already love of God. And it is all the proof that you ever need to know that the Father really does love you. He gave his Son as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. You see, if you are a Christian here today, you do not need to pray, turn your anger. You see, in the boundless mercy of God, the Father turned it on his Son, and the Son turned it and took it upon himself. This is your loyal God. This is the righteousness of God, whereby he offers himself as your righteousness. You have no righteousness. Look at verse, second half of verse 18. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous. Daniel knows he has none, but because of your great mercy. And so what is it? What is it that earns eternal life for you today? What is it? Is it your righteousness? No, you have none. You are a filthy, vile sinner. But, that, but that's great news. Because if you had a tiny bit of righteousness, you might be tempted to think, ah, I got a bit of righteousness. I can uh, earn my way into heaven. But no, no. The only righteousness you need has been given to you freely by Jesus Christ. You see, the, uh, the cross 
Sometimes people talk about like a swap happening, a great exchange. All your vileness, all your miserable sin, that went on to Jesus. And, and all Jesus' perfection, all his obedience, all his listening to God's word and obeying it fully in every detail, personally, perfectly, perpetually, all of that righteousness that comes to us. It's the great exchange. And so here is Jesus, the mediator, taking our sin and the punishment for our sin, the anger of God, God the Father and his own anger at sin. And we, we have the righteousness of Christ. We are clothed with new clothes, the righteousness of Christ. This is your loyal God. But one quick question just on the side, which is this. How can God be just and loyal? Our first point is God is just. Second point is God is loyal. Is not God slightly bending the rules by pouring out his anger on the sun rather than us? You know, we're the ones who sinned. So how is it just? How is it fair that the anger goes on Jesus and not on us? You know, maybe we might be tempted to think, maybe it's a good thing that God isn't completely just. Well, God is just and God is loyal. He is, as, as Romans 3 says, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And I think the quickest way to answer this question is to remind you about union with Christ. Do you remember in Daniel 7, a, f- a few weeks ago, the holy ones of the Most High were united to the Son of Man. So remember, the Son of Man approached the ancient of days and received the kingdoms. And then it said, and the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom. And you're like, well, but those are two different people. But it's because that we, the holy ones of the Most High, are united to Christ. That when Christ receives the kingdom, we receive the kingdom. Do you remember that? A similar thing happens here. Because we are united to Christ, the anger of the triune God is poured out on us because we are sinners. But since we are one with Christ, it, for want of a better word, lands on Jesus. We take shelter under the wings of Christ. So as, as Romans 8.3 puts it, as a sin offering, God condemns sin in the flesh, the flesh of his son. We are united to Christ. And so God preserves his justness at hating and punishing sin. And he is loyal and he saves us from our sin. And so in light uh, of the Jesus who turns away the anger of God, the Lamb of God who bears the sins of the world, I ask the question that I asked at the beginning. Do you ever feel like God is out to get you? Or maybe to use, use the words of verse 11, do the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, get poured out on us when we sin against the Lord? No. No. So these punishments that the people in Daniel's day under the old covenant, those punishments they received, they were motivated by God's righteous anger at sin. But now that righteous anger, it, it does still remain for those who have not trusted in Jesus. But for those who have taken refuge in Jesus, for believers under the new covenant, any hardship we experience, any suffering that comes from the hand of our sovereign God is from his love and kindness. It's very important. 
God's anger remains at sin. But for those who have taken shelter under the, the Most High, any hardship, any suffering, it is motivated by God's mercy, motivated by God's love. Hebrews 12 says, because the, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every, everyone whom he accepts as his son. And so endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. So we do not experience the curses of God because those will fall on the sun. We experience his love. And so you don't need to try and decipher events in your life. Trying to work out from things that happen whether God loves you or not. I know the answer. For you, um, Christian, he loves you. And so my encouragement to you all today is to confess your sins to God. For you who haven't, take shelter, haven't taken shelter in Jesus and his atoning death, for those of you who don't believe in Jesus, the anger of God the Father, the anger of God the Son, the anger of God the Holy Spirit, it still remains directed towards you. But God has provided a refuge. Cling to Christ. Cling to Christ. For he has turned the anger of God onto himself for all who will come to him. Cling to Christ. And for you Christian here today who fears and sometimes doubts the love of God, know your sins are forgiven. You did nothing to earn God's favor. And so you can do nothing to take it away. Look at the second half of verse 18. We looked at it earlier. We, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. That's where your hope lies. Only there. Nowhere else. And for the rest of you Christians, keep confessing your sins. Some people say that oh, if you keep on confessing your sins it, all the time, it's quite morose. It's a miserable thing to do. You know, you just become a gloomy Christian. But to confess your sins is to experience the unending mercy and loyalty of God. You confess your sins knowing that Christ already, already died on my behalf. He's already taken away the wrath of, wrath of God. You confess knowing that he has already poured out his spirit on his church to convince us that we are truly children of God, loved and forgiven. So God is just, you are a sinner. God is loyal, you are saved. Let me pray now. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name and whose words are written for, down for us in scripture. You, Lord, are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. We who are the Israel of God, we are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God 
is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All the Israel of God has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on your son because we sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on him great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to your son, O God, outside the walls of Jerusalem. Just as is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on him. Yet we so often have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on him, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Yet we so often have not obeyed him. Now, Lord God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. But Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, you turned away your anger and your wrath from Zion, your church. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors made Jesus an object of scorn to all those around him. Lord, our God, you have heard the prayers and petitions of your servant. So for your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate church. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the people that bear your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your church and your people bear your name. Amen.